Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got a primetime matchup to get ready for as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 78. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we break down the Eagles coming off their huge win over the previously undefeated Minnesota Vikings. Greg and I will give you our thoughts on what we saw on both sides of the ball before we give you a preview of Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and the Dallas Cowboys in a matchup that I cannot wait to break down. Next up, we've got Scouting Report, where I want to talk about a player that is integral to their defensive success and a guy that I loved coming out of college a few years ago. We have got a ton to get into, as always, so let's not waste another second Greg and I need to get into some Eagles-Vikings talk and break down that dominant performance against Minnesota on Sunday by this Eagles D. Let's get to that segment now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome to Week 8 of the 2016 NFL season. Unbelievable to be saying those words, but a huge win for us to talk about. We can't really relish uh, the time of year right now because a huge win to talk about, a huge game to talk about moving forward this Sunday night. Let's first start with the Eagles' dominant performance against the previously undefeated Minnesota Vikings. And Greg, I want to start defensively. We have a lot of talk about on offense, but uh, the defensive performance against the Vikings and Sam Bradford, what Jim Schwartz was able to concoct uh, up in his lab was really extraordinary. Just seeing, uh, getting away from some of the the tendencies we've seen throughout the course of the season, uh, heavy blitz package, a lot of different things they did to try and confuse Bradford pre-snap. Yeah, and and I think to me, as I watch the tape, and of course you watch the game and you see certain things, and sometimes you watch the tape and you see the same thing, and sometimes you watch the tape and you see different things. Yeah. Um, what really stood out to me was it was a perfect mix of being fundamentally sound and safe aggression, as I call it, because they blitzed in this game more than in any previous game this season, but they were what you call safe blitzes. And I always think back to when I did the book with Ron Jaworski and had the opportunity to, we did a, a chapter on Dick LeBeau and his zone blitz schemes. Yeah. Because he's really the, the pioneer of it, even though he wasn't the first to do it. And I had a chance to talk to Dick LeBeau numerous times. And the whole premise behind what he did was he wanted to create pressure on the quarterback without compromising or sacrificing coverage. And that's where it all came about. And the Eagles did that really, really effectively. They even a number of times did what we call zone exchanges, where Bradham blitzed. It was, he, he actually blitzed on the first third down of the game, and then later he got his sack on same the blitz. exact same yep. blitz. And where he blitzed, and they dropped Cox out on the other side, so it ended up being a four-man rush. So they, they only rushed four, but because a second-level player comes, we call that a zone exchange. It's, and it's, for, for those that count only five or six-man pressures as blitzes, a zone exchange 
Franz has would probably be on a Blitzreel. I would say that's a Blitzreel. It would probably no be doubt. on a Blitzreel uh, for a coaching staff. Yeah. So when you talk about, you see Fletcher Cox drop. We saw Brandon Graham drop. Oh, we saw yeah. Vinnie Curry drop. Uh, so many mix and match pieces yep. along this defensive line and all the different looks they had. You had Jalen Watkins blitzing. You had Malcolm Jenkins. You had blitzing. Rodney McLeod. Rodney McLeod yep. got a sack fumble. Yep. Uh, it was really just great to see all the different looks. And you saw, so you mentioned the, the Nigel Bradham zone exchange happening a couple of times. After, other than that, though, it seemed like a lot of different uh, uh, combinations up front and guys coming and guys going from the field. Sometimes they were coming from right, the boundary. Right. And what they were doing on the back end uh, was really fascinating. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the thing you notice, and offense should note this too, is you know, if you see Rodney McLeod near the line of scrimmage, that should be an alert because he doesn't play near the line of scrimmage a whole lot, but he's capable of it. But I just thought that they did a lot of different things, um, but yet – not necessarily complicated things, just a lot of multiple looks, but very safe stuff because there was always coverage. There were no snaps of zero in this game. So everything was safe. Everything had a deep safety. Most of it came out of, of z- uh, most of the blitzes behind it. They played zone, much more zone than man. Uh, so this was, uh, and, and they did a lot of cover two trap. They obviously felt yeah. that that was something that Sam Bradford had trouble with because they uh, there must have been five or six plays of trap. Almost got him one time. Yeah, Leotis McKelvin. That's right. right That's there. right. Almost got him. That's right. Uh, the my favorite play of the game defensively. Uh, there were lots of really good ones, but my favorite blitz of the day was the Nigel Bradham sack. We covered it in your in the All Twenty Two Review piece right. that you shot on game day four Monday morning on the site. The reason why was because pre snap. You saw Jordan Hicks, and I believe it was uh, Michael Kendricks. It was somebody else up near the line of scrimmage on the left side. Minnesota slides the protection that way. Right. They drop everybody out from that side and send Nigel Bradham on the zone exchange to the man side of the protection, making sure that he was matched up on a running back. On a running He's back. able to win one-on-one against the back, and you get a sack. And it's You're right. blitzing one-on-one. Yep. Break down the protection. The one I really liked was um, – the Hicks sack, which came off a Mike yeah. Starr blitz, as we say, it's the Mike and the slot, which is a Mike Starr blitz, and I believe that that might have come from the field. Yes, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, it was really well disguised. Yeah. Jenkins came from a long way, but he got in clean. He forced Bradford to move right up into Hicks, who was picked up by the right guard, but still he was able to clean it up. And I, that, to me, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, the disguise as well as the execution. And you say star blitz because uh, a lot of teams will refer to that nickel corner right. as a star player. So it's as a Mike star, star, star blitz. So, yep. uh, yeah, certainly it was a, a really interesting uh, blitz package of pressure scheme from Jim Schwartz in this game. The other thing that was really good to see was just the, the run defense come back yes. in a big way. Certainly not a great not, running team, of obviously. Course, not, not a great running team. Not the same team they played two weeks ago against Washington. Certainly not the same team they're going to face this week against the Dallas Cowboys. But uh, the gap discipline, the yeah. gap integrity, getting off blocks. Right from the start, too, Fran. You could Play see one. the difference right at the beginning of the game in the way the linebackers played downhill. 100%. You know, they were turning it loose. They, they were firing, as yeah. you know, and, and – the week before, everybody seemed like they were just a beat slow. This week, they were firing on all cylinders right from the start. Talk about what that does for a defense in a scheme like this, in a two-gap scheme. When, you've, when you're going up against a run game, especially one where you have those double teams at the point of attack, what that does for the D-tackles when those linebackers are so aggressive downhill? Well, if you look, every run game doubles D-tackles. Every time. Every, yep. you know, that's just built into run games. So what you're trying to do, 
by attacking downhill as soon as you read run is you're trying to release the double team so that one of the offensive linemen has to then block you, the linebacker. And then that allows the D tackle to be basically in a one-in-one situation again instead of having to fight the double team. So you are trying, as a, as a stacked backer, you're trying to release the double team, and that really helps your defensive tackle. For, for you guys out there that have been following along on the video segment of this podcast, that's something that uh, I broke down a couple examples of that exact concept uh, in this week's video segment. You can check that out on the website on the Philadelphia Eagles mobile app starting on Wednesday morning. Uh, Greg, anything else defensively that stood out to you from this game? I mean, you had uh, really the – Brandon the Graham. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, man. that's Just, easy. Uh, I mean, he's playing at such a high level. Yep. And I'm so happy for him because – uh, one of my favorite guys on the team, yeah. for sure. And uh, not just the pass rush. I mean, he was constantly in Sam Bradford's face. He had the sack fumble. But some of the hustle plays, too, making plays outside the hashes, whether he's retracing his steps and working back or whether he's making plays from the backside in pursuit, uh, has just been all over the field for this team. Yeah, he's he was terrific this week. And, and you know what really stood out to me, besides the fact that he was very good, is he was playing against a backup right tackle in, in Jeremiah Searles. And you're supposed to look good against those guys, and he did. See, that's the thing. When you're supposed to be better than the guy you're playing against, and you are, I always think that's a good sign. Yeah, no question about it. All right, well, let's let's transition to the other side of the football, uh, and let's talk, talk about the passing game first. Look, going up against the defense, we spent a lot of time yep. sitting in these exact chairs last week talking about how great this Minnesota Vikings defense was. No sacks, no tackles for loss in the run game for the, for the, for the Minnesota Vikings defense. So you've got to give a lot of credit to, to Doug Peterson and the offensive coaching staff, execution on the field as well. But what did you think from Carson Wentz's perspective? S- certainly not his best game no. uh, as the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Let me just start with the run game because yes. I thought that this was one of those run games where you had to watch the whole tape. Because there weren't big runs. There weren't explosive runs. I think there was one of them that set up the field goal before the half, maybe. It was the, the, the 20-yarder. 20, 20 20 yeah, yep. Right. On the power in th- third and nine. Yep. Right. The shotgun power. Shotgun power. Right. Yep. Right. Which is kind of a specialty play in that situation. Good call. But, you know. But for the most part, they were five and six-yard runs. Which, Nothing wrong with those, by the uh, way. Absolutely not. But yeah. it was the kind of run game where I finished watching the tape, and I, and I just said to myself, Wow. This run game was really effective. And then I looked at the numbers, and the numbers don't jump off the page. They were 26 for 101. It was, you know how in basketball you very often see a guy score 30 and you go, that was a quiet 30? Well, this was a run game that was a quiet but really efficient run game. So, you know what I did today? Literally like two hours for you. Does that make sense to you? Yes, 100%, because I did the same thing. Okay. So here's what I did I went and I charted all the runs. Right. And what factored into the lower number was you had the, the fumble on uh, the, the fumbled uh, exchange between right, Darren right, Sproles and, right. and Carson Wentz. Uh, there were a couple plays where the ball hit the ground. Right. So, so I took those plays out. I said, you know, the, the run so game couldn't so develop. So the numbers were plays. better. So the numbers were better. I, I, by my count, you had 20 carries by the running backs for 103 yards, 5.15 well, yards per carry. And as we continue to see, uh, and you talked about this very early on, Many different kinds of runs. Yeah. Many different kinds of runs. No question. You had the, you had the shotgun power yeah. that you mentioned, shotgun counter. You had inside outside zone, zone, outside zone. zone. Yep. No you question. Had the it toss was, sweep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You had the, the one of my favorite plays of the day. 
uh, was they it wasn't a toss sweep, but they it was basically right. a version of the sweep. It was a sweep. Yeah, yes, it was basically yes, a sweep yes. where you had tight end. Uh, they Brent pulled two linemen. Down, they had yeah. pull, and yeah. Jason Kelsey, instead of pulling, released immediately to yeah. the second level yeah. to go hunt for Eric Kendricks. Fights through contact, didn't get to him initially, but then found a way to finish. It was a 17-yard run for Darren Sproles yeah. in the fourth quarter. Uh, but anyway, getting to Wentz, he was not very accurate in this game, and, and he missed some... He missed throws that were there. He missed Ertz on what should have been an easy throw. Uh, didn't give guys a chance on some throws. He just wasn't real sharp physically throwing the football in this game. Talk about the effect of lower body mechanics oh. and accuracy. Well, that's something that when I watched him at North Dakota State, and, I, and as you know, we both really liked him. That's not the point. But the, one of the things that stood out that I knew he'd need work on once he got to the NFL was he tended to be a very upright thrower. He tended not to really bend much at the waist or his knees, and he threw upright. Despite the fact that he's a really athletic kid. Correct. So it's not like he's stiff. No. It's just oh. that you know, he just played a little right. bit high. Right. Go ahead. Right. Yep. And, and I think every once in a while, he falls back into that trap, and I think that leads to inaccuracy. And, of course, don't forget, in, in the NFL, everything happens faster. There's people around you faster. You have to do everything a little bit faster. And sometimes you can fall back into bad habits, and that's something. Look, they're well aware of this. They've been work. They worked w- with him on this all off season. So this is not something they're going to, f- you know, let go. They'll keep working on this. But, but he he just did not throw the ball real well this week. Talk about the scheme because one thing I told you I charted all the runs. I charted every play for this reason, just to see how, how the offensive staff reacted after the slow start from Wentz after his second pick. And it was really interesting to see all the different things they did in the passing game to kind of make things easy for him. Oh, uh, what did you what that, did you that think was, from yeah. that respect? And and well, it's funny because we we talked you know before we started uh, doing the podcast. I said to you I thought it was a phenomenal game by Doug Peterson, and what by that I meant, I thought that the way he massaged a rookie quarterback through the game when he knew pretty early on that Wentz was not sharp. Um, now, some of that had to do with the defense as well. Of course. But, but hey, that's what happens when you play a very good defense. Um, and given the way his defense was playing, given the special teams, it, it was a game where you just had to get through the game comfortably. And I thought that Doug did an unbelievable job with the pass game. Everything became quick game and easy throws. There was almost no progression reading. It was just easy throws. Uh, almost runs, just basically passes that were really runs. You had a lot of the run pass options, yes. whether it was the Josh Huff bubbles in the, in the right. flat, uh, the Zach Gertz little pop pass over the middle right. for 14 yards. Right. A lot of plays like that where he's reading one defender or two defenders, and bam, the ball's out. And quickly. by the way, that also helps your offensive line. Of course. Which if you, had to, if you were stuck in a game where you had to do a lot of deep drops, they might have been overmatched at times. So here everybody was concerned about Vitae, and really he was not a factor in a negative way at all. And they didn't really help him as much in pass. No. It it wasn't a traditional pass drop set. No, exactly. The play calling helped that out a lot. You didn't need to do that. But my my overriding point is I thought that Doug did an outstanding job playing complementary football because that's what the NFL is. You have to win multiple ways in the NFL. You can't win just one way every week. And the teams that can only win one way – are not contenders because you have to win games like that. You know, through the first three weeks of the season, we looked at Wentz and and he's going to be a good player. And we thought, wow, this offense is going to be really good. And then you hit some bumps in the road and everybody, I imagine, 
Uh, you and I talked about how scary this Minnesota game was. I'm sure – I know I didn't think it would play out like that. I doubt you did. Even if they were to win, I don't think you thought it was going to play out like that. No. So, you know, you get into a game where all of a sudden, you know, five consecutive turnovers, your quarterback, you know, they, they simple route like why stick, and it's played really well defensively by Kendricks, and, and Wentz then makes a bad throw and it's intercepted. Then they get him on the inverted two with the, with the interception by Rhodes, and you're thinking – What was your take on that play? On the second interception by Wentz. Well, I love the coverage because I've seen it many times. It's it's inverted too, where you know Smith becomes the tailgate defender to the boundary, and it's just two man. It's just inverted two man coverage, and so basically what he, what Greg is saying is in, in, in two man coverage, typically what you see is your two your two deep players are two safeties. Well, Harrison Smith is lined up down close to the line of scrimmage. He becomes a man player. And, the and Terrence in- Newman became the deep safety exactly. to the boundary side of the field. So the corner became a high safety right. and your safety. But he actually threw player. the ball really to the field side because Rhodes intercepted it. And I don't know, you may know this, was there confusion on the routes? Because it looked like both guys were running in-breaking routes at the same level. And, I, and it was tough for me to figure out. You know, it looked like both guys, too, came slow out of the route. It was just a, And Aguilar, who the ball was play, thrown yeah. to... It looked like Wentz threw that ball expecting him to cut sharply inside like on a dig, and he sort of drifted upfield. So I'm not excusing the throw. Of course. Because there was not really a window to get that ball in there, so you can't make that throw. But there was something wrong with the route, that two-man route concept there. That, that was not right. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, just getting back, once these things happen, but once it became clear your defense was dominating and you got the lead, 8-3, and all of a sudden, you know, Doug played that game based on how that game was playing out, not based on how I want to play every week or what I'd like to do on the blackboard when I sit, you know, in game plan on Wednesday, but he played that game, and I thought he did an outstanding job. Because of what you said about how they uh, changed some things in, in terms of the passing game, and it wasn't necessarily a traditional you know, five-step drop, five, seven-step drop, we didn't necessarily get to see very clearly anyway how they were blocking up some of those double-A gap and triple-A gap no. pressures. No, and in fact, the Vikings didn't do a ton of it because I think especially that— just, Especially late, yeah. Right, because I think they realized, Zimmer realized, that that was not really— going to be a factor the way the, the, the Eagles were playing offense. I thought it was really interesting. I, one of the early ones, it was either the first third down or the second third down of the game, they showed that look. It looked like Kelsey was starting inside and then was peeling back to look for Harrison Smith coming off right, the edge. Right. It was really interesting right. to see how they were blocking that up. But like I said, we didn't really get a clean picture just because of how the game played out. But credit to Doug Peterson. Well, just to make one point unrelated to the Eagles game, but for those who um, – you know, obviously, Vitae did not play well last week against, we, Washington, against yep. Washington. If people get a chance, and you should take a look at it too, I'd take a look at what Ryan Kerrigan did to Riley Reef this week on a sack. Oh yeah, if you yeah, all right, just I'll take a look at it. I'm sure I'll be able to see it at yeah. some point next time we get ready to play Washington. Uh, let's let's transition now to this Sunday night, a huge game, one of the best. I would say, and you you be able to tell tell me uh, better about this. Probably one of the highest profile primetime games the NFL's had so far this season. I would think so far. Yeah, I would think that's so, fair. I mean, you, got, yeah. you have Eagles, Cowboys, the NFC East, best division in football right now. Uh, two great young rookie quarterbacks uh, going head to head. I want to see how this Eagles offense comes back against the Dallas defense that is not to the level of uh, Minnesota. Right. And looking at this Dallas defense, it's really interesting because you look at the roster and you're like, all right, well, you know, the the, the talent, the names don't pop out of you. You know, you know they have Sean Lee who has been an Eagles killer, has been, he dismantled us really good in that second game. He's a great player, really instinctive, plays sideline to sideline. Uh, you know, you've got 
guys on the edge, the the two Crawfords, Tyrone Crawford and Jack Crawford. Have you checked out my guy Malik Collins? Malik Collins. So here's my take on Malik Collins. He's been disruptive yeah. against the pass. I think he can get moved a little bit. A, in the a run little game. bit because he's an athlete yeah. playing inside. Yeah, he gets me. He yeah. gets moved a little bit in the run yeah. game. But uh, Sean Lee, the secondary is playing really, really well. But we'll get to that in a, in a bit. What's really interesting is looking at the numbers. You know, they're pretty much right in the middle of the pack and most numbers in the in the league. But what's really stood out to me, they're first in the league with the fewest defensive penalties in the NFL, only 34 through six games. They're number three in yards after catch per catch. So they tackle the catch. They don't miss a lot of tackles. They that's, do a great job coming up. That's been their MO the last few years. Huge. They're also number five in the league, or number four in the league, sorry, in opposing quarterback rating on throws 20-plus yards downfield. They're not giving up big plays no. downfield. So if they're not missing tackles, they're not taking a lot of penalties, and they're not giving up big plays, they make you drive the field Correct. On, de- on defense. They make you earn it. They make you earn your points on Correct. offense. Correct. Correct. And, and I think – They've been getting really solid cornerback play. Very. I agree. And, and they've been playing in the slot quite a bit. One of my in- favorite guys I mentioned to you in this past draft, Anthony Brown. Yeah, you liked Anthony Brown I a did. Lot. Yeah. I did. And he's been their slot corner because um, Skandrick's been in and out with a hamstring. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, this this is a defense that about two years ago, sort of in the latter half of that 2014 season when they made the playoffs, sort of – started to evolve from being a predominant zone team to playing a lot more man coverage, and they've stayed that way. And uh, you talked about the secondary. I mean, Byron Jones, we both loved coming oh. out of UConn a couple of years ago, uh, and he's turned into a dynamite He's going to be, as a free safety, one of the two or three best in the league. Now, again, you know, everybody puts Earl Thomas at the top of that list, but Byron Jones has that kind of movement ability. Yeah, and his ball skills, his instincts, his yeah. physicality. I mean, he's and able to play the line of scrimmage. he can match up and play man-to-man. Yeah. He's he's a dynamite player. Yep. They drafted Mo Claiborne the same year the Eagles drafted Fletcher Cox. They That's drafted, right. They drafted Claiborne, Claiborne. Didn't they trade up to get him? Yes, sixth, I believe. Yeah, right, something like yeah. that. And they drafted him in the top six or seven picks, and he was a. Uh, I think most people considered him a bust at this point. Yes, he's playing really well. He is. He lo- he looks the part. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he's Patrick Peterson right now. Well, he's built totally differently. Sure, Peterson's he's, close he's, to 220. He's Claiborne's th- probably 195 yeah, or 200. He's playing really well. He's playing yeah, really real, well. You know what it is to me. And it's such a weird thing because for all the physical traits we talk about when talking about college players, he looks confident the way he's yeah. playing right now. You know, yep. he doesn't panic when he's beat downfield. He gets back in phase, plays to his technique, goes up and attacks the football. He looks confident coming downhill. He's made a number of third and fourth down stops in the run game and in the quick passing game. Uh, he's playing with a lot of swagger. I mean, just the, the confidence is yep. definitely coming through when you watch him. No, I, I agree with you. But, you know, it's funny, having said all this, okay, and I agree, obviously, the numbers are the numbers, and the tape tells you how their corners are playing. I still think in this game, because I know the way Doug feels about Carson Wentz, and he's going to want to get him back to a higher level, I think you're going to see the Eagles take some shots in this game. I think so. With man-beater route concepts. I really do. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to come out and toss it all over the yard. Of course. But they're not a big pass rush team. I think he can feel that he's going to be able to protect, and I think you're going to see him take some first and ten shots. You know, not not every first and ten in the first quarter. Of course. But I think he's going to take a couple of shots in this game. I also think one of the interesting numbers I found upon research, and I give some credit to Ben Fennell, who's uh, one of our production assistants on Eagles Game Plan, helps me out a lot with uh, the Eagle Eye in the Sky column as well. They're 10th in the league in terms of stopping the run, in terms of yards allowed per game, 92 yards per game on the ground. 
but they have seen the fewest rushing attempts of any team in the NFL. Well, which makes sense when you think about their profile. Yeah. And we haven't talked their offense yet, which we'll get to right now because it fits the profile. This is a, a, a run-first team. I be- Prescott does not run as much as people think, so they actually run the ball more than they pass it when you look at just pure numbers. Now, that's not play calls, so maybe play calls drop that a little bit, but it's still not going to drop it significantly. Uh, so they run it more than they pass it. They run it really well. They eat clock, you know. And First in time of possession in the NFL. There you go. You know, so that that's their profile offensively. And when they get ahead, even if they're only ahead, I mean, the Green Bay game was a perfect example, the last game they played. If you look middle of third quarter, you had a close ball game. And they just stay with the run game. They stay with the run game. They stay with the run game. And all of a sudden, it's 30-16. to 16, And they win. And that's the way they've been playing. It's 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 just they play a four-quarter game, and they stick to the plan. What do you feel about uh, Dak Prescott so far through six games? I think he's played well. I thought his, his last game, quite honestly, was his worst. Yeah, definitely. But I think for the most part, he's played very well. I think the coaching staff, we just talked about Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. I think the coaching staff in Dallas has done an outstanding job with him as well in defining reads, defining throws, uh, understanding the kind of coverage concepts they'll face. Uh, They've used boot action very well. They haven't overused it, but they use it really, really well. Yep. So I think they've done a really good job of helping him to settle in and be comfortable as a quarterback. What has surprised you most after watching him at Mississippi State? Because we were laughing, a couple yeah. one of our producers here yeah. uh, was you know reading someone's scouting report, someone from NFL Network, and was reading someone's scouting report where they said, oh, you know, he uh, the the upside's there, but probably will never be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And obviously, look, you know, you say all that, and we and we throw it out the window because now he's started six games and it's one of the talk of the NFL, but. Uh, what has surprised you the most seeing him transition from college, from Mississippi State, now to the Dallas Cowboys? I thought he had a lot of lower body issues throwing the ball, which impacted his accuracy in a negative way. And I thought that in the NFL where everything's quicker and faster, that it would take him time. And he still, every once in a while, has some lower body issues. But for the most part, he's throwing the ball very accurately. And, you know, that... To be honest, that's been a little bit of a surprise to me. I you know, agree. I'm, I'm not one of those revisionists now. You know, as, as you and I discuss, you see, you know, all the time now. You know, I told you he was going to be a great player. If yeah. everyone thought that, he wouldn't have gone in the fourth I, round. Exactly, exactly. So I'll be the first to admit that as a prospect, I thought he was a better prospect than, let's say, someone like Brett Hundley out of UCLA. But in terms of skill set, I, I didn't think they were that far removed but I thought he was better than Hunley as a prospect, but I certainly didn't see him as a top 50 pick. I was going to say my my biggest surprise has been his accuracy on the move. There you go. You know, and those rollouts and those yep. boot action plays, uh, some dimes that he's yeah. throwing on the run, rolling left or right yep. uh, has been really, really impressive. And, and the one thing that I guess is hard to get a f- true feel for, I mean, you think you can, but you don't know, is I think he's played with a lot of poise and comfort. You know, he's not played fast or frenetic, which a lot of young quarterbacks do. Um, and I think that that's really stood out. I don't know if you've heard, but they have, a, they have another rookie in the backfield. Uh, a lot of people kind of they forget do? because they've got Dak Prescott. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, what yeah. have you seen from the number four pick in the draft? Yeah, he's uh, – I think you got – you have the perfect marriage of back in line because he's he's a naturally powerful runner. I think he's smooth. He's fluid. He's got good vision. He's got good patience. He can bounce. He can run inside. Um, 
he fits this offensive line and offensive scheme really, really well. Obviously, they run outside zone as a major staple run. I think he runs that exceptionally well. So I think, you know, ultimately, as I said, you've got a great mix of back and scheme. I've always loved his competitiveness uh, as a runner as well. And one of the – it's funny, we were talking before the podcast – you compared him to a former NFL running back. Yeah. Uh, who, who Could you share who that was and why? Well, because of the outside zone, I, you know, when I watch him, I think of, of someone like Terrell Davis. Now, I think that Elliott, being a bigger man, might be a little more naturally powerful than Terrell Davis. But I think just in terms of running that outside zone with kind of that smooth, fluid, you, you know, when guys run outside zone well, it almost looks like they're gliding. Because, you know, outside zone is a run that requires some patience and vision. It's not just hit the hole as fast as you can. And he just has a smooth, fluid way about him that it kind of reminds me of Terrell Davis. You talk about the key to running outside zone. For Eagles fans now, I've, I've seen all the hype about Ezekiel oh, yeah. Elliott. And, uh, you know, how, how are we going to stop this running, running attack? When you're defending the outside zone, what are the keys for a, a, an Eagles defense going into this game? Well, the one thing you can't get caught up in versus outside zone is having your D-line and linebackers play laterally. They can't just run down the line of scrimmage because then you set yourself up to be blocked. Because outside zone, if you reduce it to its simplest terms, you're trying to stretch the front side and cut or seal the back side. And the hole can open up in any number of places. It all depends on the front, and it all depends, the defensive front I'm speaking of, and it depends on the movement of, the, of that front and the linebackers. So there can be, a hole can open any time, but from an offensive standpoint, you're trying to stretch and cut, and then a hole opens. So if you start playing laterally, running down the line of scrimmage, you're just playing into the hands of the offense and the stretch zone concept. And the the tough part about that is is that since the, everyone's moving laterally offensively, you know you've got the offensive line all moving one direction. The running back opens up not at a ninety, not at a parallel to the sideline, but at a forty five degree angle. He's heading laterally as well. You want to maintain your gap. You want to make sure if you're a linebacker, hey, if I'm if I'm a, a gap responsible, I've got to make sure that I'm running with the center. I got to make sure I'm staying lateral. But you want to attack downhill because, like you said, you have to maintain that gap. And, and you know what a lot of people may not understand about gap integrity. Gaps are fluid. Yeah. Gaps, you know, you may have a gap. Pre-snap, you have a gap, okay, based on how the defensive front aligns and how the linebackers are stacked. You've got a gap. But then when the ball gets handed off, depending on what the nature of the run is, gaps become fluid. You don't just stand right in your spot and say, okay, I've got this gap no matter what. So gaps are fluid. But you're right. You've got to maintain gap integrity, but at the same time work downhill, not laterally. That was certainly an issue uh, that hurt the Eagles in a couple of those outside zone runs against the Washington Redskins a couple weeks ago. Well, uh, Greg, it'll be a very, very interesting uh, matchup to watch this Eagles offense going up against Dallas's defense. And also Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, and that rest of that Dallas offense going up against an Eagles defense, coming off a great performance against Minnesota. Looking forward to watching with you right here at the Novacare Complex. Thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks, Fran. Great stuff from Greg, and again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast in all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, and the other, go on iTunes, you go on Stitcher, wherever you listen, you give us a rating and you leave us a comment. 
I want to give a shout-out this week to Nikehead10, who left a comment on our iTunes page saying how much he loved the show, and he actually had a pair of questions that I'm happy to answer. So anytime you have a question, if you want to get it on the show, you just go on iTunes, you go on Stitcher, you leave a comment, and I'll answer it right here. And that's what I'm going to do right now for Nikehead. He wants to know, if I were Howie Roseman, the Vice President of Football Operations, would I make any trade before the trade deadline? The trade deadline is next Tuesday, November 1st. Asking specifically for some kind of receiver help. To me, if I'm Howie Roseman, I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, you know what? We've got the quarterback of the future. We great. We gave up some assets to try and get him. All the draft, uh, the draft picks they have in their arsenal right now. That's top end capital. So any any trade that potentially comes in, you know, in terms of uh, a trade offer, it's got to benefit not just the Eagles of 2016 but the Eagles of 2017, of 2018, of 2019, of 2020, you go on. This has got to be a move that's going to help the Eagles in the future as well. You want to try and build around your franchise quarterback, around your budding defense, a group of young, core, talented players. You want to try and build around that. So any kind of deal you make, you want to try and keep that in mind. And if not, you just don't make it. That's just the way the way the, the, the world is right now in the NFL. The draft capital is king. So we'll be really interesting to see how that progresses throughout the week. Lastly, he wanted to ask, do you think we should implement more of an up-tempo, mainly with our O-line issues? So uh, really the big answer for that for me is I don't think so. I think, I think you want to try and do a lot of the same things you did this past week against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you're, if you think you could potentially have issues with a defensive front, you do some things like what the Eagles did. You get the screen game involved. You get the misdirection game involved, the run-pass option. Those are all things that help not just the quarterback but also the offensive line, like Greg mentioned in that previous segment. And I think that's something that certainly uh, can help a guy like Halapulavati Vitae and some of the other members of the Eagles, def- or the Eagles offensive line. So thanks to Nikehead and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. But let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that I wanted to profile a player that has really become a cornerstone of this Dallas defense and how he could impact the game on Sunday night. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player I want to talk about more in depth, and we mentioned him a little bit during Chalk Talk, is Byron Jones, who I loved coming out of UConn a couple of years ago. This is the 2015 draft, just under six foot two, 199 pounds. So I saw him as a corner, and at just under six two, that's outstanding size for the cornerback position. He started 37 games in the secondary for the Huskies in his career. People may remember he was kind of the freak of the combine, set the combine record in the broad jump, uh, the longest catch he allowed in his senior year. So this is the thing. He came out of the combine. People didn't really know about Byron Jones and, and the, uh, you know, in terms of the layman and the casual fan didn't know who Byron Jones was. They said, "Oh, well, he's the, you know, he's just kind of a combine freak." If you go and you watch the tape on Byron Jones his senior year, the longest catch he allowed was 13 yards, and it was in that final game where he actually hurt his shoulder. He was out for the rest of the year after that play, and that injury certainly did hurt him a bit for some teams. He had played safety earlier in his career, played a lot of corner uh, that final year. For UConn, I thought he had the skills to be an outside corner in the NFL. Of course, he gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in the first round. They turn him into a safety, uh, and the rest is history. He has turned into a really dynamic player. But let's just get into my notes real quick and what I thought of Jones coming out of UConn. He was the field corner, lined up to the wide side of the field, played mostly press coverage for them. He had a strong punch at the line of scrimmage, really physical kid, can smother and disrupt wide receivers 
early in the down, really instinctive. He reacted quickly to balls thrown his direction, showed the ability to click and close and off coverage, showed good change of direction. So for a big corner to have that kind of change of direction skills was really, really impressive. He was an explosive athlete. Greg talked about that earlier, displayed great suddenness downhill, and he had top-end speed in the open field as well. Really calculated mover, really efficient, worked to stay in phase and easily hung in man coverage down the field. I thought he showed good zone awareness as well in zone coverage, the ability to overlap and help his teammates. You know, so you think of a, uh, a, a deep third defender, if he sees a post route in the middle of the field, leaving his area of responsibility when possible to kind of help in the middle of the field, he showed the ability to do that. Showed the ability to go up and attack the football and get it on the ground with his hands or reel it in for the interception Jones was just such an impressive player against the run he was really good as well you know from a a negative standpoint I wanted to see him be a little bit more consistent in press coverage I thought his technique could get a little bit more refined there and overall just his discipline with his hands and his hips in press and obviously the injury everyone was kind of worried all right well the shoulder injury what's the deal with him here but overall, man, I, I love the kid. Physical, technically sound corner, scheme versatility, position versatility. I loved his per- play personality, uh, model of consistency. To me, he checked all the boxes, size, speed, all his physical traits, character was off the charts. I saw him as an early starter on the outside. And like I said, he started there uh, early in his career for, for Dallas. Didn't take long, though, for them to say, you know what, we need to get, make sure this kid is on the field every single play. Let's put him at safety. He'll come down. He'll play the slot in some of their nickel packages. That's what he did last year. Not as much this year, but he does come down and play the slot very often, much like what we see here in Philadelphia with Malcolm Jenkins. So what does that mean? Are they going to be afraid to line him up one-on-one against Jordan Matthews in the slot? Absolutely not. Will he line up against Zach Gertz or Brent Selleck? Absolutely. He definitely will be in man-to-man situations in that realm as well. Anything over the deep middle, there are times where he is the single high safety. Because remember, the safety on the other side is Barry Church, a veteran more known for his ability to come down and play against the run. So if they're going to try and roll safeties, Jones is the one they're going to try and play high and try and keep Church down near the line of scrimmage and run situations. So you will see him play the deep middle. He made a play that really stood out to me this year against A.J. Green of the Cincinnati Bengals where we're we're actually going to break this play down in Eagles game plan and then probably later on this week in my Eagle on the Sky preview of the Dallas defense. But where A.J. Green was running a deep over route, Byron Jones was the deep safety, and the initial track to the ball that uh, that Jones took – actually had him going lateral towards the sideline. And when he saw the flight of the ball, you saw him change his route to the ball, his change his path to the ball, keep his eyes on the flight, and then climb the ladder and make a play, get the ball on the ground against one of the best receivers in the entire NFL. So uh, certainly a player Eagles fans should be well aware of going into this game. Thanks again to Greg Cosell and everybody out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you so much. And if you get the time, again, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there too. You know, I just answered Nike Head's question. I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. If there's ever anything specific you want me to hit on in depth, I will absolutely take requests from all of you out there. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment wherever you listen to the show. All right, that being said, I think that's going to do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the NovaCare Complex. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.